0: The following is a presentation by The Tabernacle, a community of changed lives. For more information regarding service times, or if you would like to make a donation to The Tabernacle, you can do so by visiting our website at
1: www.thetabchurch. 10. But the Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why are you lying on your face like this? Israel has sinned and broken my covenant. They have stolen some of the things that I commanded must be set apart for me. And they have not only stolen them, but have lied about it and hidden the things among their own belongings. That is why the Israelites are running from their enemies in defeat. For now Israel itself has been set apart for destruction. I will not remain with any with you any longer unless you destroy the things among you that were set apart for destruction. Get up, command the people to purify themselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Hidden among you, O Israel, are things set apart for the Lord. You will never defeat your enemies until you remove these things from among you. In the morning you must present yourselves by tribes, and the Lord will point out the tribe to which the guilty man belongs. That tribe must come forward with its clans, and the Lord will point out the guilty clan. That clan will then come forward, and the Lord will point out the guilty family. Finally, each member of the guilty family must come forward one by one, The one who has stolen what was set apart for destruction will himself be burned with fire, along with everything he has, for he has broken the covenant of the Lord and has done a horrible thing in Israel. Early the next morning, Joshua brought the tribes of Israel before the Lord, and the tribe of Judah was singled out. Then the clans of Judah came forward, and the clan of Zerah was singled out. Then the families of Zerah came forward, and the family of Zimri was singled out. Every member of Zimri's family was brought forward person by person, and Achan was singled out. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, by telling the truth. Make your confession and tell me what you have done. Don't hide it from me. Achan replied, It is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. Among the plunder I saw a beautiful robe from Babylon, 200 silver coins, and a bar of gold weighing more than a pound. I wanted them so much that I took them. They are hidden in the ground beneath my tent, and the silver buried deeper than the rest. So Joshua sent some men to make a search. They ran to the tent and found the stolen goods hidden there, just as Achan had said, with the silver buried beneath the rest. They took the things from the tent and brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites. Then they laid them on the ground in the presence of the Lord. Then Joshua and all the Israelites took Achan, the silver, the robe, the bar of gold, his sons, daughters, cattle, donkeys, sheep, goats, tent, and everything he had. And they brought them to the valley of Achor. Then Joshua said to Achan, Why have you brought trouble on us? The Lord will now bring trouble on you. And the Israelites stoned Achan and his family and burned their bodies. They piled a great heap of stones over Achan, which remains to this day. This is why the place has been called the Valley of Trouble ever since. So the Lord was no longer angry.
0: Thanks, Jacob. Good morning. Welcome to the tabernacle. Those of you that are here, those are watching or listening online. Uh, we're in the middle of Joshua. And uh, this is a tough one. It's been a tough couple weeks, hasn't it? A little bit heavy, right? We're in a fight. We're in a war. And, and the passage that Jacob read for us, it's all about the sin that's hidden in the camp. So Joshua and the children of Israel, their sin in the camp. And that's why they had been defeated in the battle of Ai. Sin that had carried over from their uh, time in Jericho, their conquest of Jericho. We find out that uh, uh, there's one guy that has done something that has cost them. It cost them a victory. God's saying, I'm not going to bless you anymore and so uh we'll get to that in a second but uh, uh i don't know about you but i love movies you guys love movies okay so you're going to lie to a preacher in church <laughs> that's good right Do, does anyone like movies out there right I don't know about you, but I always find that movies sometimes, you know, you know, I can read these words on a page, but sometimes it's a movie that'll bring the truth or the illustration or the point or whatever it is to life. And as I was reading this story, uh, the movie that popped into my head was one of my favorites is The Untouchables from 1997. You remember this? It's a gangster film, right? So we got Kevin Costner and Sean Connery. Kevin Costner, uh, he's a fine looking young man right up there. Now he's an older guy. Uh, but uh, he plays Elliot Ness. You know, he's the federal agent who's after Al Capone. And Al Capone's an evil gangster, right? He's a murderer, he's a thief, he's a liar, he's running prostitution rings. And nobody can get Al Capone, but Elliot Ness is going to get him. But Elliot Ness doesn't know what it's going to cost him. And so he gets the help of this guy, played by Sean Connery right there on the left. That's Jimmy Malone, and he's a Chicago Irish cop. And in in this scene, they're kind of making the plan for how they're going to stomp out this evil that is Al Capone. This is how they're going to get him, right? And, 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 And it really starts with Jimmy Malone, you know, the experienced guy, saying to the young guy, he asks him, what are you prepared to do? Sorry, it's Sean Connery. What are you prepared to do, right? I worked on that, all right? What are you prepared to do? And he's like, well, what are you talking about? He goes, this is how you get Capone. If he pulls a knife, you pull a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital. You send one of his to the morgue. That's the Chicago way. That's how you get Capone. He's basically saying, what are you prepared to get serious and go all the way? To stomp this sin out. And really what he's talking about is passion. He's talking about passion. It's how far are you willing to go? How much are you willing to suffer to take care of this? Passion can go both ways. This is what I mean by passion. Passion, the word passion. If you take the N off the end of passion, you you have passio, which is in the Latin. That's where we get the word passion. It comes from passio. And passio literally means to suffer. To suffer. And it isn't just the suffering that comes, you know, in in stomping out the sin in our camp. We also suffer for the things that we love. You know, I can remember the summer of 1990. I had just spent three weeks on a missions trip in Europe... And when I came back to the United States, I spent another three to four weeks uh, doing some, some ministry sports camps all over the East Coast. And you know, I was a college student at the time. And and finally, when that summer was coming to, or all my duties were coming to an end, I came back to my parents' house and I was tired and I just wanted to hang out. It's late, you know, I think it was early in the morning, I'd driven all night to get there and took a short nap, woke up the next day and 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 uh, still tired and, and there's a stack of letters on the on the uh, dresser and on the very top was a letter from my ex-girlfriend her name was Darcy and she was from Buckley you guys aren't going there with me yet are you you're like what's happening and I read the letter even though I was tired and I read page after page after page of the letter and then I read the letter again I may have even read it a third time and then I got in my car and I drove seven hours to Buckley, Michigan because the letter told me there was a chance, right? And then I married her and we have five kids. Boom, right? That's passion. That's passion. When you're dead, oh, hey, okay, cool. You got me one point, well done. Or I don't know, maybe I got 10 points to it. I'm not sure, but uh, that's passion. What will you do for love? How far are you willing to go, Right? You just drove through the night, you're going to drive through the night again, so you can say, hey, let's make this a thing. What are you prepared to do for what you love? What are you prepared to do for what you hate? Now, what are you prepared to do for what God loves? What are you prepared to do for what God hates? And so we see in this story, Joshua and the people of Israel are being asked, not literally, but that's the theme, what are you prepared to do? How far are you willing to go? So Achan had stolen some stuff, and 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 that's why Joshua was on his face. And in the story that Jacob read for us, God says to Joshua, get up. There's sin in the camp, and we have to deal with sin. Why do we have to deal with sin? We see in here because God hates sin, and God exposes sin, and Achan has his sin exposed. And wow, was it not a horrible way that it was exposed? You can feel the drama building, could you not? God says, there's sin, I'm going to show you how. And we don't know, you know, did he draw lots? Was it through the ephod? Was it a voice? Whatever. But he says, this is what you're going to do. Purify yourself tomorrow. You're going to bring everybody before Joshua. Gather all of Israel. What if we did that with your sin right now? Right? And God's going to point out it's that tribe. And out of that tribe, it's that clan. And out of that clan, it's that family. What was Achan feeling in, that, in you know, that moment? Do you remember being a little kid? And, you know, the who broke the window question comes up. And you know it's you. The dread, the fear of God in prison, right? Okay, so you never sinned. All right, so I broke a window once. And so they're going, you know, the tribe, and then it goes the clan, and then it goes the family. And then God points out to Joshua, it's Achan. And his sin... Is exposed. It's interesting to me how Joshua uh, speaks to Achan. He says, My son, he loves this guy. He cares about this guy. This is his people. And then he says, My son, give glory to God. Tell me the truth. Give glory to God and tell me the truth. Why does he say, Give glory to God? You see, when I sin or when you sin, in that moment, we choose to give glory to ourselves instead of giving glory to God. I take what's not mine because that brings me glory. I lie because that brings me glory. I'm full of pride because that brings me glory. We steal because that brings us glory. Instead of giving God glory, we take the glory. So in that moment, he says, give glory to God. What did you do? Don't hide anything from me. This is what we learn about sin is sin is always exposed. It says in Exodus chapter 32, and here's a promise, this is God speaking, he says, surely your sin will find you out. So we can hide sin in the floorboards of our tent, we can hide sin, you know, and and the way we hide sin is, you know, we say things like, well, I can't help it. Well, that was, you know, how I was raised. Well, it doesn't hurt anybody, nobody else knows about it. Oh, that's just a bad habit, I've tried before, I can't break it. Sometimes we hide our sin in plain sight. Sin is always exposed in what a horrible way. And so imagine you're aching and you're exposed right there in front of everyone. And his sin had cost them victory. His sin was defeating them. God's saying, until you deal with that sin in the camp, you're not going to go into this land and achieve victory. You're not going to have another win with my help. The second thing we see is in Aiken's confession, we see there's a pattern to sin. It doesn't matter what your sin is, it doesn't matter what my sin is, there's always a pattern. Aiken said, I saw a Babylonian robe. Some kind of fancy something. And I wanted the robe, and so I took it. See that progression? I saw, I wanted, I took. It was the same pattern that ensnared our first parents in the Garden of Eden. Scripture says in Genesis 3 that when Eve saw the fruit and that it was pleasing to the eye she wanted, she took it and she ate it. That's always the progression. It's important to understand the progression of sin. Because if we understand how sin progresses, then we can stop sinning. He saw, he wanted, so he took. And I'm wondering, what was he thinking? Did he think God didn't know? Did he think God didn't know that he took the robe? I'm the same way. I mean, there's some sins that we'll commit and we won't do it in front of our kids. Or we won't do it in front of our spouse. Or we wouldn't do it in front of our friend. Or the classic one, you know, you'll be talking to me and then you're like, pardon my French preacher. It's like, oh, so you're, so you're, right, right. So don't swear in front of the preacher, like I've never swore, right? Or that God doesn't know. Why is it that it's so easy to sin in God's presence and think he doesn't know? And it ticks me off that Achan, it was for a Babylonian robe. You don't wear Babylonian robes, Achan, you don't even shop there. Right? Right? He saw a fancy robe from Babylon, a place he's never been, and a style that his wife won't even let him wear. He's been 40 years in the desert. I'm, I'm pointing out it's something he didn't even need, really. He's been clothed by God, and for, you know, for 40 years, he's, he's been in the desert. He's a Levi's guy. He wears Levi's, probably classic 80s 501 button flies. But it's like a Babylonian robe. When were you going to bring that out? Next year's Passover? Hey, look at me. I got this at Saks Fifth Avenue in Babylon. You've never been there, you thief. What was he going to do with that robe? He saw it. He wanted it. And he took it. And not only that, but he took some silver and gold. And he buried it in his tent. And that's the pattern of our sin too. I see glory that I want for myself. And so... With pride, I embellish the truth. I see glory that I want for myself. And so I spend on me instead of being generous with others. Just fill in the blank with our sin. And probably most importantly, what we see in this story. Because it's a jarring story, right? He stole some stuff, so they stoned him to death. And not only did they stone him to death, but they... Stoned his family to death? Everything he had is destroyed. Everything he has is burned and they pile rocks up over top of it. Why, God? Why give us this story? God's telling us something. Don't miss this. God hates sin. problem is, we don't. And even if we say we hate sin, we don't hate it nearly as much as God does. Sin is deadly serious. A Babylonian robe and a little bit of gold and some silver coins cost Achan everything. And it cost his family Everything. You see, sin is contagious. Sin spreads. Some might say, well, that's unfair that his sons and his daughters... No, they knew. Where was that sin buried? Where was it hidden? In their tent. They knew where that stuff was buried. And what he took in Jericho made them co-conspirators. Because sin does that. It spreads. It's like a cancer. And the deadly seriousness of sin, it infects us. A few days become a few weeks. A few weeks become a few months. And that's how resentments are built. And that's how hatred is built. And unforgiveness, that's how patterns are built. And eventually, you know what happens? I make friends with my sin. That's what we do. We make friends. We make allies of them. And even if we don't like it, they become familiar. And so we become okay with it. That's why the story, that's why it troubles some of us. God knows that sin is deadly serious. He treats it with deadly seriousness. And this is the judgment of God. Sin is always exposed. Sin always follows this pattern. And sin will cost you everything. That's why Joshua, they take those people down. Can you imagine how hard that was? Just go there with me for a few more minutes, all right? How heavy was this? That when they laid all that loot out, that Joshua then gives the command and they go down to the valley of Achor and all of Israel goes with them. And he says, why have you brought this trouble on us? Now I got to carry out this execution. Did Joshua have a choice? What's Joshua going to do? No, God, we're not going to deal with this sin in the camp. No, God, you kill him yourself. God's doing something, and Joshua is prepared to go all the way. And so they find themselves in the valley of Achor. Wow, could you do that? I don't know if I could. And a history teacher in me comes out. I'm reminded of this moment. In our own country's history, during the American Revolution, the commander in chief of our military was George Washington, who later became our first president. A godly man, a man that uh, uh, was also a great leader, and, and there was this moment within uh, uh, the revolution where you know our army is made up of citizen soldiers, farmers, people that weren't full time guys, you know, and they're just shopkeepers and this and that, and they've been in the army for several years, but there's a problem is. We didn't have any money, so we're broke. So they signed a paper, you know, to work for years and years to fight, to be a soldier, but they're not getting paid, and soldiers are getting ticked when they're risking everything and not getting paid. Are you tracking with me so far? So a group of them got so angry that they said, you know what we're going to do? We want to fight for our country, but we're tired of not getting paid, so we're going to march to Philadelphia, and we're going to demand that Congress, Benjamin Franklin and all those guys, and their are highfalutin houses, they're going to pay us, and then we're going to come back and we're going to fight. Sounds like a good plan, right? Except they didn't have permission to leave, and so several hundred of them, with seven of their officers, they just march out of camp. They just take off. General Washington, we part of the army just took off. We're in the middle of war zone. That can't happen. What are we going to do? Are they deserting? Yeah, they're deserting, but they just—they're trying to get some money. He sends General Mad Anthony Wayne after them, and they round them up, arrest all of them, and bring them back to camp. His officers say, "What are you going to do?" These guys want to fight, they're on our team, they just wanted to get paid. But the problem is, military discipline just went by the board. Washington takes a night to think it over. Next morning, this was his judgment. He pardoned all of the soldiers and let them all go. But the seven officers will be shot. Whoa. I mean, those are two extremes, right? Here's the kicker. He made the soldiers that went with him, who were from their villages and their towns, their hamlets, their counties, they were the firing squad. And the witnesses say, We've never seen a more horrible, I mean, even his own officers, like, this seems harsh. And Washington's saying, you don't understand. If we don't deal with this, we will have no army because it's going to get Harder. So, with tears rolling down the firing squad's face, they're shooting their own. Because there was sin in that camp. Washington dealt with it, just like there was sin in the camp of Israel. And Joshua had to deal with it because God hates sin. And he's trying to teach them something, to do it his way, to give him glory to not cut corners and do it our way, to not think that we can hide sin in our camp and somehow think it's okay or we can get away with it. So how do we deal with sin in our camp? Because I don't know about you, like when I hear this story, I'm like, ooh, I gotta deal with stuff. I come back to that question. What are you prepared to do? What are you prepared to do for the sin that you hate? What are you prepared to do For the God that you love. How far are you willing to go? This is why it's important. And this is the theme right here. Kill sin or it will kill you. Kill sin or it will kill you. Sin always takes you further than you want to go. Sin always costs you more than you want to pay. And sin will always keep you longer than you want to stay. And just a little bit of sin becomes a little bit more sin, it becomes a lot of sin, and it grows. And it'll kill your relationships, it'll kill your marriage, it'll kill your family, it'll cost you. And if it doesn't cost you in this life, surely your sin will find you out. One day we all stand before God and have to give an account anyways. It's not like He doesn't know... Now, you may be thinking, man, I didn't roll out on daylight savings time to have some preacher tell me I'm wicked. Don't worry, I am too. But we must kill sin, the sin in our camp, or it will kill us. Kill sin or it will kill you. How do you do that? Very simple process. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or if you're not a Christian. The process is the same. It's always the same for us. This is how sin is killed. First, confession has to be made. It isn't okay just to say, well, I know I'm a sinner or whatever. And just kind of move on and hope no one knows about it. Scripture teaches us. That we must confess our sin. That's how we deal with our sin. In fact, that's one of my fears is that our church grows and it gets bigger and faster. We're attracting all kinds of people and I can't possibly know everyone. And our staff, our campus pastor, can't possibly know everyone. That someone might just think, well, because I go to church, I'm good. Because I sing along with the music. Because I give, that I'm good. You must confess your sin to God or you can't have relationship with God. It says in 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Speaking about sin, sin in the camp, it says, If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. And really, another translation, if we think we can just ignore our sin and never come clean about our sin, then right there, we're not living in the truth. Verse 9, But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all wickedness. You see, Jesus just showed up. Weren't you glad that Jesus finally shows up in this sermon? Right? Because it was getting heavy there for a minute. You thought there was going to be a stone in this afternoon. Well, there's good news. There doesn't have to be a stone in. Because we can come clean to Jesus. The one that is faithful and just to forgive us is God. And the reason he does it is because of Jesus. You see, if you're feeling singled out, don't worry. There's been a time when every single one of us has sin. Every single one of us, there'll be times again when we're hiding sin in the floorboards of our tent. But if we'll confess it, we can deal with it. And there's a promise, he'll always forgive us. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin. And to purify us from all unrighteousness. That's the beauty of confession. You come clean. Achan, his confession, he was singled out. He was already at the trial. You know, if you beat your parents to the confession, it usually goes better. Remember that as a kid? By the way, parents, if your kids confess some kind of sin to you this afternoon, keep that in mind, right? If you come clean first, sweet, I realize I made a mistake and I confess my sin. This is who I am. Lie, cheat, steal, lust, pride, anger, greed, what, what, a bad attitude. And not just because it's daylight savings. But if I confess my sin, it says that he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin. That's a good thing. That's a promise. And it's only because of Christ. In the book of James, it says that we should confess our sins to one another. Why is confession important? Those dark places where we hide our sin, the moment we bring confession, it's like you flip the lights on. And then it's not so scary in there anymore. Right? It's like the roaches. They go running for the corners. You notice how light always cancels out darkness, right? That's what confession does. You bring the truth and you bring glory to God. The truth glorifies God. Here's the truth about me, God, as I'm a sinner. I confess. Whew. The moment I do that, it says in Romans that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, the truth... Believe in our heart that God raised them from the dead. We will be saved. That's how we became a Christian. That's how we begin a relationship. Or that's how we fix the sin that's hidden in our camp. It starts with confession. It always does. But it's more than just confession. Now, I want to be careful. I'm talking about how to deal with sin in the camp. I'm not giving you a list of things. It starts with confession. The problem is that some of us come to God and we confess. But then we still keep seeing, wanting, and taking. Well, I just confess that I'm a sinner. That's like someone that says, I'm an alcoholic. Give me another beer. Right? I'm an alcoholic. You better give me, you know, give me another shot. Give me another. All right. If you're an alcoholic and you've real, and you've confessed that, are we going to change from that? Or are we going to keep seeing, wanting, and taking? The second part of dealing with sin in the camp is to repent. Repent. Just say that word so I know you're alive. Say repent. Repent is when you turn from the sin. So I'm seeing, wanting, and taking. I confess that I'm seeing and wanting and that I'm taking. Repent is I don't want to do that anymore. What are you prepared to do? How far are you willing to go? What steps are you willing to take? See, that's repentance. That's moving towards God. That's walking in obedience. That's going towards the light instead of going towards death. You want to avoid that horrible moment where the sin finds you out? Confess and then turn. Now let's get after it. What does it look like to repent? Well, it depends on what the sin is. Depends on what the sin is. But some of us, we're so full of our pride, we're so ashamed of the sin, that we never confess, or if we do, we just kinda keep it here, we don't confess to our brother, we don't confess to anybody else, and we never really repent, we don't get serious about our sin. And here's the danger. Kill sin, or it will kill you. What are you prepared to do? If your sin pulls a knife, will you pull a gun? If your sin sends one of yours to the hospital, are you ready to send sin to the morgue? No, because we kind of like sin. That's a really shiny Babylonian robe, and I might wear it next year's Passover. Nobody will know. And we think we can hide it, but God knows. God knows. Jesus spoke about repentance in Matthew chapter 18. Verse 8 and 9, this is what he says. He says, so if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better to enter eternal life with only one hand or one foot than to be thrown into eternal fire with both of your hands and feet. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better to enter eternal life with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Now, I want to reassure you, Jesus is not literally saying to cut off your hand or your feet or gouge out your eye. This is called hyperbole. But he is teaching us to take extreme measures with eradicating sin from our lives. Doesn't matter if it's a little bit of sin or a lot of bit of sin. He hates it, and this Jesus is the same God of the Old Testament as He is in the New, and He's showing us again. Just because we don't stone people anymore, and by the way, that's only because of Jesus, it doesn't mean He still doesn't hate sin, and it doesn't mean He doesn't want us to deal extreme measures with our sin. That's why He says, "Foot." Cause you to sin, cut it off. Hand cause you to fin, sin, cut it off. Eyes causing you to sin, gouge it out. Oh, that's disgusting. Because he hates sin and because he loves us. Kill sin or it will kill you. So what are you prepared to do? How far are you willing to go? That might mean for some of us that repentance looks like actually confessing my sin to someone else so I can be held accountable. It might look like getting help. It might mean getting in a program. It might mean making a change. And God will show us. God will show us. So there's confession. There's repentance. There's one more thing. There's a beautiful thing that happens after confession and after repentance. It's called restoration. It's restoration. This is called life. We get our life put back together. Now in this story, you know, I was thinking, who's Jesus in this story? It's not Joshua. Oh, it'll be, Jesus one day will be like Joshua, bringing judgment, but that's not who Jesus is in this story. In this story, Jesus is, Is Achan in this part of it. Not because he sinned. Jesus never sinned. Achan sinned. But the reason I say Jesus is Achan is because Jesus on the cross became our Achan. A sinless Achan. Who stood under condemnation while you and I stoned him for the sin in our camp. For the sin hidden in our floorboards. And the beautiful thing is. When we confess to Jesus. And we repent because of Jesus. And with his help we live in repentance. We can be restored. And it's only because of the cross. And you say well you know what. This just doesn't sound fair. How much do you hate sin? What are you prepared to do? How much did God love us? What was he prepared to do? Give himself. That's what he was prepared to do for love. That's what he was prepared to do to eradicate sin in our lives. That's why we confess and we repent. And because Jesus took our punishment on the cross, if we believe that and receive that and confess that and live in the light of that, which is repentance, wow, we can be restored. And restoration is a beautiful thing. Restoration is no more secrets, I've confessed them. Restoration is I'm no longer a slave because I'm walking towards life and I'm living in repentance. Restoration means me and dad are good again. And that's what God wants for us. That's what I want. And if you want it, what are you prepared to do to get it? So I lived in an era where uh, uh, it was still okay for parents to spank their kids and talk about it publicly. Right? You didn't even get that, did you? I'm thankful we live in a country where I can still say I was spanked. And I'm glad I was now. (laughs) I didn't then, but I'm glad I was now, right? Because I deserved it. You guys aren't fired up about being (laughs) spanked? Maybe that's why you're all so wicked. (laughs) I'm just kidding. All right, all right. But I was spanked. It doesn't matter what it was for. God blessed me with a father who loved me and who was very careful not to discipline me in anger. And he was careful to tell me how much he loved me. And he always gave me that this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. And I didn't believe that. He's a big man and I'm like 10 years old, you know. It's like, ah, that ah I don't think that hurt you at all. I was usually crying before the whooping started, right? And uh, he always told me he loved me. Before, he'd tell me, love me after. He'd say, this is for your own good, son. And this is because I love you. I had to do this. And I knew it had to happen. I earned it. I'd already confessed, and this was part of the repentance. It was painful. Right? Was receiving the consequences, the just discipline of my wickedness. My father always told me, I love me, and there was, you know, it was usually, it was always right before dinner. Then I gotta go to dinner, and my sister's there. He, 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 you know. (laughs) He gotta help, and that'll teach him, right? You know. And, and for, at least for me, the aftercry just went on and on. Remember the aftercry? I keep bringing that up to you. No one's yet explained it to me. You don't know what I'm talking about? The <laughs> still doing that and you can't stop doing it. But it didn't matter. It was over. And I'll never forget, I always wanted to sit next to dad at dinner. I want to be near him. Because that. Guilt that had separated me was gone. My sin that I knew disappointed him and hurt him, it was taken care of, and it was okay to be near Dad. He was safe again. Do you remember that feeling? It's all out in the open. I, I, I can't get double punished for it. It's over. That's the feeling of restoration. And when the aftercry is over, the <laughs> get a little grin little extra piece of pie. God wants that for us. But we've got to deal with the sin in our camp. And some of us, we've been hiding sin in the floorboard so long, we've forgotten what that restoration feels like. It's available. It's available. So as we close today, how do we make this personal? The band's going to come out. They're going to lead us in one more song. It's a song about how much we need God. But I'm coming back to this, or these questions. Number one, is there there sin in your camp? Whether you're here live, you're listening, watching online, is there sin in your camp? You got to kill sin, or sin will kill you. Our sins will find us out, our sins will be exposed. God hates our sin, He detests our sin. What are you prepared to do? How far are you willing to go? For the sin that God hates. What are you prepared to do? How far are you willing to go? For the God that we love. Now if you're here today and you're not a Christian. We invite you. To be restored with your creator. And it's simple as. Confessing. Yeah I'm a sinner. I'm wicked. I I don't get it all right. I didn't know God was so angry about it. Yeah he's angry about sin. He loves you, hates your sin. And so the invitation, as it always is, is to come to Christ. To give yourself to Him. And it's confession, it's repentance, and restoration. But chances are, most of us as Christians, it's the same flow. It's the same pattern. We see, we want, we take. And even though we know better, just like Achan knew better, he was warned. He was told, this is going to kill you. Don't touch the devoted things in Jericho. Don't take that Babylonian robe. You're not going to look good in it anyways. Don't take that silver. Don't take. Don't lie about it. You're going to infect your family, the people that you love. It will bring destruction. You'll be destroyed. And it hurt the nation. And it hurt him. And in the end, it cost him everything. What if he had just come clean? Hey, I messed up. So for us it's the same thing the sin that's in our camp we got to deal with it it's going to kill us so we confess it we turn from it and then we experience that restoration why because of Jesus because of Jesus Would you bow your heads with me Lord I thank you for your kindness to us God I thank you that even in these heavy heavy old testament stories you still show up God I thank you for the mercy that you showed Israel by pointing out the sin so they could deal with it. Lord, I thank you that you showed grace to them. God, I thank you that it's your holiness that demands that we deal with our sin. And God, I pray that you would give us strength to deal with our sin, to come clean if confession is necessary, if it's repentance that you would help us there. Lord, we need your help. I need your help. To live lives that are honoring to you. To deal with the sin hidden in our camp. Lord, I thank you that you were prepared to go all the way. And you did go all the way. All the way to the cross. All the way to the grave. In order to restore what was broken. Lord, would you help us to do the same? Would you help us to not just be hearers of the word, but to also be doers of the word, to take action, to be men and women and students and children of action, that we would deal decisively with sin, that we would not befriend it, we would not hide it, but that we would kill it so we can be restored with you. We need your help to do that. We love you, God. We love your son Jesus. It's in his hidden name that we pray. Amen.